0: Coming up, we go along with the terrifying author, David Nichol. Lovecraft w- uh, was, is largely considered the father of weird fiction. Mm-hmm. He would write books about co- cosmic horror. He thought of his novels as science fiction. Uh, what they also were, uh, and if you read his letters, they, 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 there's a, a, strong, uh, a strong thread of xenophobia and racism in them. One of the characters in Utopia says that, you know the, I can make as good a utopia as I want, but unless the people are good, it won't work with a novel. I have to have a sense that there is some meaning that I'm aiming for. But I, I kind of look at a novel as an interrogation of a question. Right. You, um, I'm not bright enough to answer that question <laughs> right, at the, right at the beginning. I've got to work through it. And part of that is working through it with characters that are consistent and that hopefully I love a little bit. <laughs> hey, folks. Welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Come on in.
1: Saddle up to the bar, pour yourself a Negroni, and sit and listen to this conversation as it flies through the air. Now, I know we're getting a little closer to Christmas every day and it's supposed to be all sunshine and light or, I don't know, snowflakes and tinsel, whatever it is, but I wanted to tell you about a horror novel that I think would make a great gift for anyone on your Christmas list. But you know. If you have H.P. Lovecraft fans. Or Stephen King fans on your list. I think you'll want to check out. Volk. A novel of Radiant Abomination. By David Nickel. Uh You could put that on the list for any horror fan. They're going to like it. This book is a sequel to another book called Utopia, a novel of radiant optimism. Both are historical horror novels about eugenics in the 20th century. Now, If you don't know what eugenics are, hang tight. We're gonna get to that. Uh, Utopia was set in America in 1911 and Volk in Germany in 1931. Also, there's a monster, Uh, there are Nazis, There's all kinds of cool stuff there. David Nickel is a reporter by day, really successful horror novelist by night, and a fascinating guy. Here's my conversation with David Nickel. The book is Folk, a novel of radiant abomination. You've been publishing fiction for about 20 years by the time Utopia came to print. Why choose that as your first novel? The rest were short stories, primarily, and you work as a journalist. So, uh, what was it about that subject matter that pushed you towards it?
0: Well, first off, it wasn't completely my first novel. My my second published novel was my first novel, but it was gigantic and <laughs> and hard to place. When Utopia did pretty well, that came out. But with Utopia, uh, I wanted to do a couple of things. I wanted to first off uh, write what I thought would be a a definitive horror novel. That's how we always start out. You want to be definitive. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to engage with was a very famous uh, foundational horror author, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Lovecraft wa- uh, was, is largely considered the father of weird fiction. Mm-hmm. He would write books about co- cosmic horror. He thought of his novels as science fiction. Uh, what they also were, uh, and if you read his letters, they, 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 there there's a, a strong, uh, a strong thread of xenophobia and racism in them. And, um, one of the things that I realized as I, as I became more aware of this was I really liked H.P. Lovecraft. And he was pushing buttons I didn't know he that that, that, that I had with all this xenophobia that uh, it... Uh, I, I haven't thought, read a lot of Lovecraft. Like, what what are we talking about sort of specifically? Uh, well, Lovecraft would uh, write... Uh, he, he wrote a... Uh, a novella called *The Shadow Over Innsmouth*, which is about miscegenation with humans—humans humans mating with fish people. Right. Uh, he wrote another story about the, called *The Horror of Red Hook*, in which he characterized Red Hook, New York, as a um, as a, a, a hotbed of uh, of evil immigrants. Uh, he, in his letters, he um, he often railed about. Uh, a, a, about these unclean races—that was essentially everybody who wasn't from the part of New England that he grew up in—and <laughs> right. um, uh, and, and the subtext goes through a lot of these stories. They're also really foundational stories. Guillermo Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. is a huge Lovecraft fan and actually had wanted to ad- adapt uh, one of his his novellas, the uh, the Mountains of the Mountains of Madness. What I was interested in doing was doing a novel that looked at uh, Lovecraft racism, but frankly from a more progressive point of view. And for that reason, I wanted to write about the early eugenics movement. Um, The interesting thing with the early eugenics movement is that it's American. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks about eugenics as a German thing that the Nazis came up with. The Nazis studied at the feet of American eugenicists who, uh, who really got going in the very early 20th century uh, and um, and what it, what form did that take? <coughs> it, well, what, what what happened was uh, railway money essentially funded a uh, an office called the Eugenics Records Office, and uh, it was set up in Cold Creek Harbor, New York. And what they started to do was they started to catalog people. Uh, they sent trained nurses out to go to prisons and um, and insane asylums because they assumed that that's where they would find the unfit. The idea with eugenics is that. It's, it, it, it was sort of the fake news of biology in the early 20th century. It was this, this notion that there are some truths to it and that we do inherit traits. That's, that's genetics. Uh, what, uh, what, what, um, what eugenics did was it, it put a moral template over that. It, it said that, all right, if we can inherit traits, then possibly racial groups, possibly economic classes, um, possibly people from certain countries are inheriting inherently inferior genes. And mm-hmm. the ultimate goal of eugenics was to stop those people from reproducing. Uh, it's a tremendously horrific notion. It's something that, uh, that at various points in his life, H.P. Lovecraft would have been very comfortable with. And mm-hmm. I wanted to critique that. So that was Utopia. I wanted. I, it, it, it's, a, it's a horror novel. There is a terrible monster like Lovecraft would have. Uh, and uh, the villains are uh, well-mannered eugenicists who also want to make a perfect society. And that theme... Goes forward into
1: the new book set in Germany, twenty years after the events of the the first book. What is it about this subject that keeps you there? I mean, these are big books; these are yeah. sprawling big books. I would assume that there's a ton of research that goes into them. Uh, this
0: is th- this is a big project. What is it that keeps you glued to it? Well, part of it is the theme, because as as, as I got more into uh, more into the research of of eugenics, I realized that a lot of it was also tied into uh, the very American idea of of utopianism, utopian communities, uh, were starting to come up in the United mm-hmm. States at the same time as as this, and like upstate New York, upstate New people York. artists would band together and form their own little communities, right. and or Capri. Uh, yeah. A lot, a lot of a lot of people who were who were running industries wanted to have a perfect society because it made it made for better workers, mm-hmm. um, and what that got me thinking about was really what this is is this this crazily misguided uh, exceptionalist sense of trying to perfect society uh, one one of the characters in utopia says that you know the, I can make as good a utopia as I want but unless the people are good it won't work and so the the quest becomes to make better people uh and as I was as I was thinking about this the the the, the creature in in the book, isn't particularly a, a, a creature of eugenics. It's a it, it it's a parasite that causes people to um, to to behave in its benefit, much much as um, uh, much much as much as real world parasites do with with various animals. Uh, and uh, it occurred to me that um, what what's been really interesting about this 20th century experiment is trying to perfect ourselves almost at any cost. And, uh, and I wanted it by, by the time I get to Volk, I like to think that it becomes a horror novel about goodness, a horror novel about virtue. The, um, it's not the devil. It's mm-hmm. your better self that might be, might be stalking you.
1: My guest is David Nickel. The book, uh, is in stores right now. It's called Volk, a novel of radiant abomination, and you identify most of your, uh, fiction with the label horror, but it seems like that is kind of a blanket that that doesn't quite fit. You know, there, there's there's science fiction in here, there's humanist study in here, there's all sorts of stuff. But horror is that the 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 title you're most comfortable with?
0: Well, it's the title that I've that I've got. A lot of my short fiction was horror fiction, right. and I do actually like a lot of the elements of horror fiction. Uh, I find that I also like a lot of the elements of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love historical fiction. Um, Westerns, spy stories, all of those things. And so what I try to do is bring that together in the book I want to read. I think that's what, what we all want to do as writers, is write the book that we'd like to read. And uh, I mean, I, I'm not fond of horror stories that simply posit a haunted house or a vampire or both right. and leave it at that. They, we, it, it's really got to be about something. And I, I think that horror gets a uh, good horror is. Uh, good horror does talk about about things beyond 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 the scare and.
1: Well, I always think that any kind of genre, whatever it is, if it's a story about sports, if it's a story about politics, if it's a story, a horror story, that that is, if it's a good one, it's never really about the scare. What it's about are sort of universal truths, things that that are um, uh, more important than just making the hair on the back
0: of your neck stand. Up. Yeah. No, the, the the best horror movie of this year and possibly this century is Get out is yeah. Jordan Peele's get out and that's and that is entirely about race. It is entirely about uh, the the discomfort that we all feel trying again, trying to be good. I um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, film that looks like it's going to get nominated for a whole
1: bunch of stuff uh, in award uh, season coming up here. Jordan Peele directed it. and if you haven't seen it, check it out because uh, it will make you laugh a little bit. It is very definitely a horror film, but the uh, conversations that came up following that film that were about race, were about um, how people respond in uncomfortable situations, were really amazing. It's a movie, Mm. unlike any other movie this year, that actually got people talking. So the book, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left here, Uh, the book is a follow-up to Utopia, a novel of terrible optimism. Um, You know, do you have to read the first one? To read this second one,
0: uh, my my editor says no. Uh, I I, <laughs> I I would encourage everybody to please read the first one. Yeah, um, there are there are certainly still copies available, and we'll do another print one if you want them. <laughs> uh, I, I it, it was written so that you could uh, you so that you could pick it up and, and read it blind. But you'll be under no illusions that this is a sequel. It refers to some pretty crazy events in the background, which which is not the usual backstory for a character in a fresh well, novel. Well, and and you you need to know who the juke is. Well, it actually I do. I do make that clear yeah. in some, and what I hope isn't too much exposition in the in the early chapters. But you'll you'll have a better time if you if if you read both. And I wrote it so you'd have a good time if you read this one. It's a
1: yeah. So is it? I mean, you pay the bills. I don't know. You, your day job is uh, also as a writer, but you cover politics. Yeah. So uh, you know, is, is it about having a good time reading the, your novels, or is it about sort of commenting on something larger, or is it
0: both? Well, I. All of my stuff I think is is, is about both. I, I, I feel I've not done a good job if if, if I don't leave a reader entertained right. but entertainment to me is more than just just enjoyment. Entertainment is engagement. and I feel that that for adult readers and, and for and for smart kids, uh, they have to be able to be thinking about something while they're while they're reading this too or else they're going to feel guilty. Right, And I don't want to feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs guilt? Uh, had you always intended to write a, a sequel to Utopia? Or is that something that came up later? It, came, it came up. Uh, Utopia is a very self-contained book. It takes place in a small uh, logging town in um, in northern Idaho. Uh, the characters only imagine what the larger world implications of this, of, 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 of the juke is and of, of eugenics is. And I, I, thought I, I thought I was done, but... I frankly heard from enough readers saying that there's got to be more here, and I thought, yeah, you're right, there is. So uh, I, I did. I waited a while. That one was in 2011. I published two novels and a story collection between them. Uh, so I, 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 had, I had other things to do, but when, when the time came, I realized that, yeah, 1931 in Germany is where this has to go.
1: It feels like it's kind of set up maybe for a third installment. Do you think there will be one?
0: Uh, I wasn't planning it, but once again, uh, there might be. Uh, there might be. I'm, I'm, I'm working on something else right now, so it's not going to be right away. Do you always have
1: a number of things going at the same time? And how, if so, how do you
0: kind of separate your brain? I usually do one thing at a time. Right. Uh, last year, uh, I took a break from writing Bro- Volk and wrote and published a bunch of short stories. Okay. Uh, this year, I, I, I finished up Volk, and I'm working on a new book now. Um I find that what I, I do have to work on different things at different times because I'm a journalist as well as an author. So uh, mm-hmm. writing novels does come in the cracks between the day job, which yeah, yeah. which has got to take priority. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean the the real trick is to is to just keep going at it and and don't for me I don't listen to those uh, to those stern writers that say you must write four hours a day or you must you, you must do that because you just can't really do that and manage a healthy life.
1: Well, I don't think that there are any rules. That's the thing. Uh, I've written a bunch of books as well and I get young writers coming to me all the time saying, how do you do it? What do you, what, What's your process? And I said, it doesn't really matter what my process is because my process will be completely different than yours and yeah. I learned my process over time and my process is really vague. Some days it's great, other days it's not. Writing is not yeah. like other jobs, but I, I write every Every single day, though, because I do feel it's a muscle that gets stronger over time. Is that your experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't write every single day, but I but particularly when I'm on a project, I, I that's when I do. If I'm yeah. if, if I'm deep in a project, then every day. And sometimes those are pretty unproductive days. Sometimes that, that can, can just be opening up opening up my laptop on the on the subway coming in and getting a few sentences done and and, and reading things over. But then that keeps the uh, that keeps the pump primed, so that when it comes to do a really big major burst, I can do that.
1: Yeah, it's funny because some days I can write you know, 3,000 words. Other days I can only manage a few sentences and I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's different between one day. Have I had too much coffee one day? Not enough. I, I don't know. But I always think of uh, James Joyce when he was working on one of the, the big stories and, and uh, someone came to and said, so James, how's the writing going? He goes, oh, it's not so bad. I, I wrote seven words today. And they <laughs> said, seven words, that's pretty good for you. And he says, yeah, except that I'm not sure they're in the right order. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, William Gibson once said that uh, writing is pre- pretty simple. You just put one word after another. Yeah, and uh, and sure, that's simple. <laughs> yeah, it's the ideas behind it that uh, that take the time. I well, guess right. The real problem I have with writing fiction, and and for that is that you're lying. It's right. It's constant fibbing. You're making stuff up, and you've got to convince yourself that you're doing that. That's how all good liars work. Is they <laughs> believe their own lies, and. Uh, and there is always this point when, if 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 you think about it too much, you realize that oh, there's nothing but a blank, but, but blank pages in front of me. I think though that blank
1: pages are a possibility. That's, That's what true. I always think of. I, I always think of sort of the potential of the blank page.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I do too. Uh, but occasionally, potential is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be. Absolutely, it can be. How long did it take you to write this book? Uh, this book was uh, probably about four years yeah. overall. Uh, it, it 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 came in fits and starts. I actually I, I wrote the prologue first, and we included that at the end of my uh, of my first collection. Mm-hmm. So I felt that there was a or my second collection rather. So I felt that there was a real deadline for that, and then it kind of languished. I worked on some short stories, got a little bit done, and then really pushed this past year. I'm speaking with David Nichol. The book is called Volk, a novel of radiant
1: abomination available everywhere right now. Do you know where the book's going to end when you start writing it? I I talked to some writers who tell me, oh, the characters kind of speak to me almost and they they tell me where it's going. Others uh, say, nope, I don't know where it's going. Others have a carefully plotted design for their book? What's your process? I'm
0: in the middle. I, I strongly suspect where my book's going to end. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do make a plan. Uh, I'm not afraid to abandon it. Right. of well, I'm terrified to abandon it, but I, I will abandon it if, if, if the characters take it into a different place, and they almost always do. I think it's important for me to have my eye on the prize with a uh, with novel. I have to have a sense that there is some meaning that I'm aiming for, but I, I kind of look at a novel as an interrogation of a question. Right. You, um, I'm not bright enough to answer that question <laughs> right at the right at the beginning. I've got to work through it, and part of that is working through it with characters that are consistent and that hopefully I love a little bit, and um, and 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 with scenarios that put them to a test. And the only way to get to a meaningful ending for me is to put them to that test and see what that what happens. But like with 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 with, with any mad scientist, you have a hypothesis as to how it's going right. to turn out. You just might not. What happened with? The first novel that you
1: wrote, which actually became the second novel that you published. So, uh, I assume that it had been sitting there for some time. Yeah. And you weren't uh, ready to to put it out there. What was the
0: situation? Funny, sad, painful story about the way that some people write novels sometimes. I I had... uh I'd started this book actually in the 1990s uh, and I just won a, won a big award and I had a new agent who said, this is great, write this book. And it was going to be about psychic, psychic Russian spies after the Cold War. And uh, I so I did. Uh, it took a really long time and it came out to about 185,000 words, which is very long. Most That's books, a big book. Most yeah. books are about 100 to 120,000 yeah. words, sometimes even a bit less in, in, in the genre. So I, I showed it to my uh, to, to my agent at the time, and uh, he said, "Oh, this is this is way too long. I can't sell this because that would have been my first novel. He says, you cut it in half." So I did, uh, but the problem is that when you have a a uh, hundred and eighty-five thousand-word novel that that kind of parses. You cut it in half, and it 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 really turns to crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he uh, he sat on that for a while, and then didn't want to represent it. And so I said, okay, well, let's 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 carry that not representing me forth, and I'll find another agent. Uh, and um, I uh, I had showed this book to my my publisher as the as the first novel, but I showed the short version. I said, oh, this is crap. Uh, and we went, we went with something else. Uh, when Utopia did well, uh, they said, well, "Let's take another look at that book," because they wanted another book from me, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm not as fast as I seem. Uh, so I said, "Well, as long as you're looking at that book, why don't I show you the big one?"
1: <laughs> Horror
0: comes in all sorts of forms, and I think, you know,
1: lately anyway, it has splintered into so many hybrids. There's Emo horror. There's, you know, vampire horror. There's body horror. There's all sorts of stuff. For you, break it down into what sort of the
0: successful elements are for you. The successful elements of horror for me. First, the first thing is that it doesn't necessarily. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to scare me. Right. In fact, as a horror writer, very little little scares me. I can kind yeah, of yeah. see the the machinery. But what I need for it to be is I need it to be about something. I need the metaphor to resonate. Good horror, to me, is always a metaphor. Uh, if you take a look at Stephen King's early work, mm-hmm. uh, *Salem's Lot* is uh, it, it w- was really a metaphor for the for the Watergate uh, paranoia right. that was that was sweeping America at the, at the time, and he turned that into a town where uh, uh, where a vampire came in and then spread like a virus, and suddenly you, it, it was an invasion of the of the blood sucking body snatchers, yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Um, and i think that the, and then the uh, the shining again to go with the stephen king it's a powerful haunted house story on the other hand it's also a heartbreaking story of alcoholism and abuse and and that that uh, that line runs through it and because of that it's got power if it if a, for me if a horror story doesn't have that running through it then it then it it's not really doing everything that a, that a proper horror story does it's a it's a campfire story
1: i think the <laughs> that's funny i think uh, the shining is probably his most personal book because yeah. it kind of is reflective of stuff that was happening in his own life amplified greatly of course mm-hmm. but you know he had addiction problems and and relationship problems that he poured into that book and it and it feels different than the other books i think
0: yeah well it does i think that a lot of a lot of king's best work does pour mm-hmm. that those notions into it and and we we need not just uh, just just speak of stephen king peter mm-hmm. Strobe's work uh a lot of a lot of his stuff, particularly as he moved away from horror into books like *Coco*, uh, dealt with his experience as a veteran of Vietnam and, yeah. and dealt with those uh, dealt, dealt with those matters. They were very serious novels. I think that really, for me, what what horror is. Um, one critic uh, whose name escapes me right now famously said that horror is the only genre that is named after an emotion. Right. Uh, so you, um, to me. You bring all of the virtues that you would bring to literary fiction, uh, sometimes to other genre fiction, to horror, and emphasize that emotion, and you got me. I know I always say that people go see scary movies
1: because they like to feel scared in a place where they feel safe. They're surrounded by people, nothing terrible is going to happen, but you get that adrenaline rush, there's the dopamine that's released into your system, and you you get a little high from it. Uh, What is it with uh, literary... Horror fiction that people are drawn to. Do you think?
0: Well, I think that there's a bit of that. Again, again, Stephen King, I think, said that horror fiction is a rehearsal for death. Right. You, you, you go up to the coffin, you put your hand in, you feel something cold, and it feels that that's that's what the end is going to be like. But it's not the end. Uh, it um, it it takes you to that. So I think that um, that both in film and in, in in horrific literature, that's one of the things that we that we really get out of it is is it's it's stepping. To the point where the veil of the world is pulled away for just a moment, and you see the pulsing thing underneath. I always think that in troubled times, as well,
1: horror takes an uptick. Horror films come out. The you know during wars, uh, you know I think a uh, Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. is is about Vietnam, really, and and things. I I always feel that there's a, a, an uptick there. Do you agree or no? Well,
0: I. I think that there might be I mean I, I think that's actually demonstrable because there is yeah uh, there, there definitely is why that is is a uh, is a mystery I think that uh, that we want to uh, when we're in a place where strong emotions are actually being brought up in reality mm-hmm. we want to uh, we want to look at, at, at different things we want to look at something that's that's pretend again we we, we are in in a sense, in troubled times, we are facing death. Right, like that's that's the ultimate thing that we're afraid of is is this, this might just end us. So uh, a, a comfortable dress rehearsal might be a, <laughs> might 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 be appropriate. I'm speaking with David Nichol. The book is called *Volk*, a novel
1: of radiant abomination. Do you remember the first? horror fiction that you read the first horror movie that made an impression on you
0: oh gosh uh, I think that probably the first horror movie that made an impression that made a real impression on me I know when I was a kid I saw the day of the Triffids the British film yeah and yeah. those Triffids scared the crap out of me but it was very small at the time yeah I think the, the first film that really really disturbed me uh, would have been uh, would have been the 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 1950s fly mm-hmm. um, and it was the ending of it yeah uh, because at the at the to spoil it, it, I don't think I'm spoiling I, this for I, anybody. I, I think we can spoil that it now. The, it came out at half the end a of the film. Uh, the the um, uh, a mad scientist uh, who's doing teleportation has uh, has has mixed, him, mixed himself up with the fly, and so he's, there's a uh, now a scientist with a great big fly head and a yeah. fly with a teeny tiny scientist head. Yeah. And at the end of it, uh, after they've they've resolved the um, they, uh, after they've killed the uh, the big the big scientist, given up on any hope of getting them back, he. Um, the the, the the little tiny sign just gets caught in a spider web. And, and says, help me, uh, help, help me, me help in me, a tiny
1: little me. screechy voice.
0: And then the, the really awful thing was when Vincent Price, who hasn't been noticing it for a whole scene, yeah. finally looks down and the horror of the moment dawns on him. That, 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 I was with Price at that point. It dawned right. on me too. It's and, funny because if you look at that now from just
1: strictly uh, uh, with, with 2017 eyes, it looks kind of cheesy. You know, the thing in the voice, the little squeaky voice saying, help me, help me. But really, if you dig in... It's a terrifying notion.
0: It gets me. It still yeah. gets me now. And if, if it occasionally comes up on YouTube or whatever, it's uh, okay. I'll look, yep, still bad. And and it's the helplessness of it. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Well, that's it. And that's oh, that's one of the things that really horror, horrifies me is is the notion of of enti- of complete helplessness. And in, and in in any horror story that takes you to that place, there is that element of helplessness.
1: And I think that's probably a great deal. I mean, if we look, we were talking about Get Out. If we look at that movie, there's an element of helplessness in it for a good chunk of that he's uh, a character who's in a situation that he's unable to control and, and things are spiraling, spiraling around him. And that's, that's scary.
0: Yeah. He's trapped. Yeah. He needs to get
1: out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The book is called Volk, a novel of radiant abomination. Um, You jump genres and styles
0: frequently. Um, What kind of decision is that on your part? Usually, it's driven by the story that I want to write, right? Um, but not always. My my, my third book, uh, *The Geisters*, is a, is a is a more conventional horror novel. It's about a it's about a young woman with a poltergeist who who marries into a bad crowd, uh, and I had wanted to write a a straight up horror story. Then I thought that at that point I would I would just dive right in and 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 do the kind of horror story that people used to buy in the nineteen eighties s and yeah, paperback yeah. racks. Uh, but in general, uh, I want to. Uh, I come up with stories. I, I I hang out with science fiction writers. My wife, my wife Madeline Ashby, is a science fiction writer. She she was on um, her 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 novel Company Town, just to give that a bit of a plug, yeah. was um, was one of the Canada Reads finalists. Was and um, and so we 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 th- I, I'm I'm used to thinking that way uh, as well as as well as with horror. I'm not nearly i I'm not nearly the science fiction writer that she or or some of my other science fiction writer friends are. But there's that influence. So. And I, I, I respect all of these genres. I think I think that uh, that genre fiction in general gets a becomes a lot of silos. People who write horror say, ah, stupid science fiction. Right. People who write science fiction say, ah, stupid horror, stupid romance, stupid historic. Like, and and, and really, it's all a way to tell stories that uh, that engage us in in different ways, fire off different parts of our brains. And I want to keep all of that all that going. I, I didn't know that your wife was a
1: writer. Yeah. Uh, so I imagine long, quiet nights with just the clacking of keyboards. Yeah. Just a like, dueling keyboards. Well, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> that
0: happens. I mean, what, what? Sometimes it happens where where I'm I'm not writing as much and she's writing more, or vice versa, and right. then we have to remind ourselves to come out of our cave. But um, do you but, read one another's work? Uh, we we Before do it comes out. Uh, we do, uh, it, not 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 all of it. We some of it we we talk about so much that it's almost not necessary. We will yeah. we what we will do is is work through story ideas. Uh, we'll uh, we'll 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 have a look at at various sections, and sometimes we write. Um, we we will we will go through the whole thing. A lot of my wife's stuff. Uh, she she's also a futurist and does. Uh, the stories that are, that are under NDAs. So right. I, I just stay away from those.
1: Is the new book Volk, a novel of radiant abomination. Is that a timely book, a timely story for people?
0: I think it's turned out that way. I mean, I, I, started the book uh, in in the, uh, in the Obama administration mm-hmm. and finished it in the Trump administration. And uh, the book's about Nazis. The book is about, right. uh, about Nazi, about, about the rise of the, of the Nazi party in 1931 this was not when they were in power. This was when they were selling their message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it uh, as as I was as I was writing that, and I was as I was getting deeper into the into the book and and deeper into Germany, I realized that there's a lot of parallels between between now and then that 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 weren't necessarily when I started. Uh, we are in a place where there are Nazis or neo Nazis in the in the White House, and and that is they, they they are they are not entirely ascendant. There we there is no. There is no American Reich that's happening right mm-hmm. now, but it it smells a lot like Germany in the 1930s. You said in another
1: interview, and i I copied this down. You said uh, there's a political subtext into the plot involving people who rallied around a leader who dined out on the disparagement of lesser races and uh, uh, tormenting the terror of miscegenation. I can't say that word. <laughs>
0: I can't either. It's yeah. miscegenation, yeah, I think. It. It's... <laughs>
1: uh, but, uh, but that's what this book is about, and that yeah. th- that feels current to you.
0: It does. No, it does. There There, there is a point... I, I don't have a lot of historical figures in the book, but there's right. a point where where Goebbels shows up uh, and uh, and essentially gets into a debate with somebody that might be using the juke who uses mind control. Right. And he says, you know, we don't really need you. We have got this figured out. Yeah. And, um, and that was the... Um, that 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 to me is is the uh is my statement on the way that things are right now is the, fake news mind control sure is yeah uh no but once you start to define people's reality mm-hmm. you've got their minds once you once you once once people think that um think that there is uh uh that that piece of paper there is an apple mm mm-hmm. we'll start to eat it yeah
1: Well, it's interesting because I think that we live in the age of the individual now where people uh, have this idea that, you know, my opinion about something is more important than science. Uh, My, you know, my ideas are just as valid as the ideas of experts. So that leads to anti-vaxxers, that leads to, you know, all sorts of, you know, belief in fake news and all that sort of thing. And I think it's a dangerous slope.
0: It's a very dangerous slope. Uh, And and, I mean... Going right back to even before Vol- the, the eugenics movement yeah. that, that they deal with in Utopia, uh, that was a dangerous, uh, a dangerous, dangerous fake science. There were, there were, I guess, anti-vaxxers of their day too. Yeah, uh, it led to people being forced sterilized, uh, it, and yeah, that that uh, ha- having all of their rights taken away from them. Uh, it it led to a monstrous, uh, to, to monstrous behavior on on the part of people who, who had the power to to, to put that in place. One of the reviews that I read for the book, and the
1: book is called "Volk: A Novel of Radiant Abomination." The author is David Nickel. Uh, it says that you're writing in a heightened style that evokes classic Gothic horrors of Stoker, Shelley, and Poe. That's pretty high praise. Oh.
0: I'm not sure. I, 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 I'll take it. I'm not sure that I'm not <laughs> sure that was what I was aiming for with that book. I was more aiming for Eric Ambler and the. Uh, right. And, but it was. It was. It's definitely. I. I, I tried it when I write historically. I try to, to write in, in in the voice of that period. Right. U uh, Utopia had a much more formal style. It was it was it was written in the style of, of, of westerns that had been written at that time, and Volk I had Volk is uh, in in a lot of ways it's it's a it's a bit of a spy thriller as well, uh, and uh, and that was what I was aiming for. But I mean, I I will take that praise though. Always take the praise. <laughs> That's what I say. Put it on the back of the book. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> there's a there's some great. Uh, descriptive moments in this book and if we're just talking about the heightened uh, style and, and the style of the book um, there's a, a Jason who's a, a World War One pilot uh, burns himself with cigarettes to keep the lingering after effects of uh, his contact with the juke at bay so to, yeah. to distract his mind he burns himself where did details like that come from from you
0: well, that, that was um, – I was thinking about, about post-traumatic stress. The thing, the, thing, the thing with Jason at that point is that when he was a boy, he did deal with the juke and then he became a pilot in the First World War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a bit of research on that. I talked with uh, – I, I spoke with a, a, a friend who's sort of an amateur scholar, Michael Skeet, another, another fantastic author. Uh, and uh, and really, there was as as much as it, as there was this terrible romance about uh, about about flying biplanes in the first world it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were using a new machine uh, and um, and they were they were they were facing really horrible death at any at any point. So what I wanted to do was uh, first off the, the mechanism uh, that one of the mechanism people people had discovered for dealing with the juke was to have sharp shots of pain. Right. And so he came up with the cigarette burning trick as a, as, as a way to do that. But that's also the kind of stuff that people who've really been in wartime and really had to deal with, uh, with, with, the, with the, real, the real horrors of, uh, of warfare have to do. It's interesting because it, for me,
1: it just was another brick in this big sort of world building that you do in this. And, and there's so many interesting little details like this that makes the book, I think, a lot richer uh, Than it might have been otherwise without them. Well, thank you. Uh, the book is called Vulcan: Novel of Radiant Abomination. You can find it everywhere. Um, the The research must have taken uh, ages. Does the research happen all beforehand, or is it a learning curve along the way?
0: Uh, it's it's really a learning curve along the way. Uh, I, I I don't pretend to be an expert in any of the things that are in in this book. What I uh, what I started out was uh, reading a, uh, a really excellent book on on, on eugenics uh, called The War War Against the Weak. Can't remember the author right now, uh, but uh, um, and that and that gave me a primer for things. And then as I started to uh, to build and write the book, I, I realized you know I, I, in in Utopia I needed to know about how logging towns worked. Right, right. And so I learned about that. Uh, I needed to uh, I needed to know how the how, how the railway connected in 1911. So I learned about that. Uh, I, I read the Oxford history of the American West in certain parts to, to get a sense of that. And with, uh, with Volk, that was daunting because so many people know so much about, um, about, about Nazi Germany and, mm-hmm. and uh, and, and, and the Weimar era that I had to, uh, I, I had to, to go in a little bit deeper, um, because those people will come at you. Oh, if they you will. Get,
1: if you get a, a detail wrong, <laughs> if you're a year off yeah. in your description of something or whatever it might be, yeah. Uh, yeah, they will come at you hard.
0: But again, I and actually, I mean, my um, my wife had had actually done her uh, d- done her thesis on on the Holocaust and, right. you, and and had books on that, so I was able. And I mean, I, I I'm a journalist, so I have yeah. I have I have some research skills of my own, and That's right. and I was I was able to. But, the, but really the trick with this with researching historical stuff is don't – even with that, don't go overboard Be, or, or, or else you will, as, as some people say, make the reader suffer for your art. Make the reader <laughs> suffer for your art and bog the story down and bo- with, yeah, exactly, with detail. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: the juke is the parasite that is uh, common between the two books. Yeah. Uh, but is the juke a name? Yeah, that's from the research, right? It is from the research. Yeah, the
0: the Jukes family was a um, was was a famous example in in early eugenics of a family that appeared to have bred itself for criminality. Uh, They were they were a backwoods family that um, that uh, in um, in in this book was purported to be filled with criminals, and Mm -hmm. the that that was one of the really awful dark things in the. in, in, in the early eugenics movement was they wanted to breed not just there the, the, there was racism yeah. they thought that 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 uh, that African Americans were genetically inferior but it was also behavior they thought that they thought that criminality might have a might have a genetic and genetic marker that you could simply breed out and the horror of of, of eugenics was was that they wanted that, that surely having a, having Families that weren't bred for crime would make for a safer world. Surely that would be good. If only that's how it worked.
1: There's another throwback. Uh, Orlock. Yeah. Is uh, is a tribute, I think, to Count Orlock.
0: Yes. Right. In, yes, it definitely in, uh,
1: is. In Nosferatu. Uh, explain who that is for people who don't know. Uh,
0: Orlock is a um, is a mysterious figure that I won't I won't give away the yeah. uh, uh, his, his, his origin, but he he is an ubermensch. Uh, he shows up at the beginning of the uh, of the novel in the beer hall putch uh, for uh, a fairly racy scene in the um, in the cellar, uh, and uh, he's he's big, he's ugly, he's very attractive, and he <laughs> he, he, he he becomes a kind of uh, a kind of lost boys leader of uh, of a. Um, of a troop of Hitler Youth in the Bavarian Alps that uh, that makes that makes trouble through the book, and I do love that he's named after the the, the character in Nosferatu.
1: Yeah. One of the, I guess probably the first adaptation of Dracula to the screen, but they didn't have the rights from That's right. Bram Stoker's family, so they said, okay, we'll just call him something else. So they called him Count Orlock and called yeah. the movie Nosferatu.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and actually that that was that that partly came from. A real-world inspiration that I had for this. I met a guy on the on the subway while I was while I was writing. Who was a who's this crazy big big guy? And he sat down beside me. And he said, "What you doing there?" Said, I'm writing a novel. And he said, "That's interesting. Do you know about blood type?" And then really? he started to tell That's me that he, he, he started to tell me this story about how. Uh, How different blood types had different, marked different personalities and his was, his was A, B or something and uh, wanted to know what mine was. And I, uh, what I did was I got off the subway a few stops early, (laughs) sat down and transcribed the whole conversation. Wow. And I realized that, yeah, of course this guy's going to call himself Orlock. (laughs) <laughs> the
1: book is called Volk, A Novel of Radiant Abomination. You can pick it up wherever you pick up fine books. The author is David Nichol, fascinating guy. The books are beautifully written. Uh, you can see the tentacles reach back to H.P. Lovecraft, a little bit of Stephen King in there. If those authors are on your bookshelf already, you want to put David Nichol's books next to them. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much, finish up your Negronis, get your ass out the door, don't let it hit you on the bum on the way out, but make sure that you come back next week. The House of Krause is closed up now, but every Monday we put up a new show and you never know who's gonna stop by for a visit. So come back and see us because it just might be one of your favorite people and you don't wanna miss that.